If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, and it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM, and I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Cindy Housen. She is the Chief Data Strategy Officer at ThoughtSpot. She holds a degree in English from the University of Maryland and an MBA from my alma mater, Rice University. Go Owls! Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you, Byron. Yes, Rice, where they have more trees than students. That is that is one of the things. It was in the original charter that, that it always be that. And uh, it makes a real difference on the campus, doesn't it? It does. It's a beautiful campus. And, you know, a lot of people aren't, aren't big into living in Houston, but the part where we lived uh, had those beautiful oaks that hang over all the tree, uh, all the streets, and it has all the museums, and it's just a really, really lovely, lovely place to be. Um, I'll only say one, one small short story, which, uh, and then I, we'll, we'll get on to the topic at hand, but at at Shepherd and Westheimer, there's a Randall's grocery store, and uh, it might be Shepherd and West Gray, and uh, it's that grocery store that uh, Boris Yeltsin went into and saw it, and he said it was that moment he knew that the Soviet Union wasn't going to be successful, that their system had failed, and had if people in the Soviet Union knew that this is where Americans get to shop, there would be riots the next day. And, and, you know, he points it to that one grocery store, that one moment where it, it all became very clear to him. And, and I always think there should be a plaque there, and there isn't. It's just a Randall's grocery store. So Interesting. Well, maybe you need to make that happen, Byron. Maybe. Historical moment. Probably it's a Kroger's there now. <laughs> I, no, I drove by it recently to check because I was showing it to my son. And I was like, hey, that's where, that's where they realized communism failed. So in any case, thanks for being on the show. So you're the Chief Data Strategy Officer at ThoughtSpot. For those of the listeners who don't know, tell me about ThoughtSpot. What is the mission? What do you do? Yeah, so ThoughtSpot is a BI search and AI and analytics technology provider. And we give users, any users, particularly business users, the ability to ask questions of their data using search and natural language query. And that is a very different paradigm than how most BI vectors have people work with their data, which is more power user oriented, I would say. And the other thing where ThoughtSpot is very early to the market is on this next wave of disruption, combining AI and analytics, telling you what you didn't even know to look for in your data, the hidden patterns, as we call them. So let's start with the first half of that equation, taking BI down to something that doesn't require a power user. Give me a kind of a real world example of that. Like who would be somebody that normally wouldn't ever think of themselves as a BI consumer who now would be? Yes. So, and keep in mind, Byron, I have worked in the BI and analytics space. It's almost embarrassing to say, but for more than 20 years now, and we have made some improvements 
in bringing data and BI to more people, but I do think it's more to power users. So I'll give you an example of one retailer that uh, imagine a college student even with no training and their goal is just to sell telephones, smartphones, or particular plans. So they can just type in the keywords and say, show me my commissions this month versus last month, or show me how many people bought an unlimited data plan versus a pay-as-you-go plan. And it's as easy as a Google search or a Google-like search. A lot of, a number of the founders do come from Google, so they bring that IP to the product. So you're saying it's a natural language, minimal training kind of approach to just ask what it is you want to know and it shall be, uh, it shall be answered. It is, and as you're very technical, and as your listeners are also very technical, I, I, I want to parse this word, natural language, because natural language processing does have a precise meaning in the AI world, but search is also a particular type of technology. And some vendors only take one approach. ThoughtSpot uses both search. So if I find that keyword, I'm going to leverage it. And I'm going to use algorithms to give you the best hit on those keywords. But I'm also going to use natural language. So if I wanted to say store sales this month versus last month, Versus may not exist as a keyword, and those time periods don't exist. So that's where the natural language part comes in. But it is a combination of search and natural language. Did I did I get too picky there, Byron? Do you not at all. It's a it's a useful distinction actually. And then the other half of the equation was bridging the world of AI and analytics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what's the what's the end goal there? Yeah. So the end goal is really to create. A, a platform that is human scale. So one of the founders saying he has a mission. So it is now my mission too to create a more fact-driven world. And right now facts are hard to get to. Data is hard to get to. It's almost easier for somebody just to do a search on the internet to query their own internal corporate data. But if you're trying to analyze a particular problem, if it's a manufacturing quality problem, um, being able to ask those questions and get to those insights easily, quickly, is what we're trying to deliver. I started a company called Knowingly, which uh, the goal of it was to solve what I thought was the biggest problem on the web, which is you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. And... And it's really hard to say something is objectively true um, in large part because everything really depends on the definition of the words you're using, natural language versus search, for instance. Um, and so how do you kind of get around that? How do you, how do you make sure that, and, and, and there may not be a simple answer to this, that the question that is being posed in whatever form is, is answered. For instance, let me, let me give you an example. I wrote an article about, so I have an Alexa and a Google Home on my desk, and I wrote this article about how they answer questions differently. Questions they should answer the same, like, 
how long is a year in minutes? And who designed the American flag? Hmm. And both of those questions, they gave me different answers. And the reason with the first one was one of them gave me a calendar year and one of them gave me 365.24 days, a solar year. And in another one, it was uh, one said Betsy Ross and one said Robert Hecht. And, and Robert Hecht was the guy that designed the 50 star configuration. And so there was inherent ambiguity in the question that made an answer very hard. How do you solve a problem like that? Yes. <laughs> so fascinating because you, you already introduced some concepts that I do worry about the state of the industry here. And that is also what are the biases both in the data sets, but also in the people programming the algorithms. So, so the first thing is, is we are, the questions you posed to Alexa and Google Home, what they did is they went out to the internet and ran a search. What we're talking about here is we are talking about structured data, and that is largely internal corporate data also can bring in, some of our clients are bringing in weather data, economic data, what have you. But we're talking about numbers, not that world wide web of documents, uh, for example. So there's already a little more trust in that data. Now, I do think, though, your question is still a valid one. If I ask a, a question, how is manufacturing quality or on-time shipments out of this particular plant? Can I trust that data? So where did the data come from? Uh, we expose that to any user. So some of our design principles are trust and transparency. You always have to get accurate, correct results, because as soon as you have a query <laughs> that generates wrong results, nobody's going to ever trust it again. It's harder to get people to come back. So we do give users the option to look at what was the actual query that was generated, what does that look like, and then users have control over saying if they're using, for example, one of the AI-generated insights, so if you say, why are on-time delivery late? Why are we so much worse this quarter? Um, the platform will generate a series of insights for you, automatically running all these algorithms. Well, you could say, um, was it based on weather? Was it based on a new driver? Was there some outage or things like this? And you can toggle and say some of these things are noise and take that out of uh, the feature selection, for example. So you do have to start with, do we have the data? What is the source of the data? But also exposing the details behind that, I think is what gives people confidence in the answers. Does that answer your question? I think so. I mean, it's not, there's no easy answer to it, unfortunately language is ambiguous and people when they're asking the question i didn't even know if i was asking a solar year or a calendar year i mean you know I, in any case um so you mentioned something about pushing information to people before they even know what question to ask i mean that's kind of the holy grail isn't it it is it absolutely is so it's about i like to use this analogy it's almost a cliche but we talk about 
finding the proverbial needle in the haystack. So at a minimum, I think organizations are starting to get to that very basic analysis uh, descriptive, what's going on. We're getting a little better at the diagnostic, why? Why did something happen? But now the predictive, tell me what is really important. Give me that signal above the noise. Give me that needle in the haystack. And I don't want just the needle. I want that gold needle. Or I want that pitchfork that's going to really be a problem. And so this is the holy grail. And the market um, at Gartner, we talked about these waves of disruption in BI and analytics and this third wave of disruption that Gartner called as an umbrella term, augmented analytics. We are very early in this, but, but ThoughtSpot is one of the first to market with these capabilities. And so I do think this is just the future of BI and analytics. It does feel very much like early days. Like all of a sudden we wake up with all this data and all this computing power and, and incidentally, all these toolkits that we can now apply these tech, this technology, um, but it still feels like you're almost more shocked when it works than, you know, like, oh my gosh, it did that. Uh, we don't kind of expect it all to work now. How long do you think it's going to take us to get to make huge strides in, the, in that needle in the haystack, gold needle in the haystack pitchfork uh, world? Yeah, so this is where I have to talk. Are we talking industry <laughs> or are we talking about thoughts about customers? But I mean, some of our customers that have adopted this early, I look at um, a telecom customer, they are enabling this to all their telco customers. So this is tens of thousands of customers. Um, or we have a banking customer where it's helped them understand credit card promotions, taking it an analysis that used to take two weeks manually down to just two minutes or a travel company that again is providing it to all their travelers. So I think we're early days as an industry, but some of our customers are sharing the insights that they're finding with this, that it just was not possible before. So I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I do think part of it is it's almost that perfect storm of everything coming together. We have machine learning and AI getting to a certain point of maturity. We have computing costs. So the cost of memory. So one of the other ingredients that, that is necessary to make this work is it has to be on all data. So there have been past attempts to bring that combination of search and NLP to different products, and they were met with mixed success, usually because they were small data sets. The ThoughtSpot starting size of a data set is 250 gigabytes, and we some of our clients are analyzing 70 terabytes. So, and all again, all of that there's engineering that goes into it, but it is the cost of computing has steadily gone down over the last decade. Okay, so it sounds like it's it's further along than I was um, than I was describing, and that's great. So. 
you know the the debate around explainability and and just to frame it um there's a, a, some people believe that if an ai makes a decision about you like whether to give you a loan or not you're entitled to an explanation of why other people say look these models are so complicated you and and there is not necessarily a why if you ask google why do i rank number three for some search and my competitor ranks number two they may very well say we have no idea in 50 million pages we can't say why they're two and you're three this just can't be done and there are those who say a high hurdle of explainability is an impediment to development where do you kind of weigh in on that yes so I think explainable AI is really important. And I do get worried that the US in particular is lagging a little bit here. I've seen some policies coming out of the EU that is making this um, a more pressing issue. And the challenge, I see it from both sides. So look, as a technology provider, ThoughtSpot, Google, Amazon, nobody wants to give away their own intellectual property. At the same time, if we do not support explainable AI as an industry, we risk having bias and discrimination at scale. So let's take one of the big headlines. <laughs> we, we could choose facial recognition, which is a hot button right now, or even the, the compass algorithm that is allowed to be used for sentencing. Nobody really knows what goes into that model. So I do think, and, and, you know, so why did a white guy who actually was never, um, you know, just had small crimes before was convicted for six years in jail for really um, stealing slash borrowing a car? Um, that seems like a very aggressive sentence. But the Compass model said, you know, he's a risk of repeat offense. I think what we need to get to is at least explain what were the inputs into that model and that people understand what does it even mean? So with the facial recognition for the police force to be using it, <laughs> and if they set the match at, hey, 85% is good, well, I don't know, not before jail time, certainly not. If I'm using recognition on dolphin types in the ocean, 85%, fine, I'm happy with that. So having um, a, a literate workforce that at least understands what these things mean, I think is very important. And getting to a certain level where we can reveal what went into the model what are the variables you can control without giving away intellectual property so that another competitor can reverse engineer it? We have to do that as an industry. What, well, what do you think? What's that? What do you think? Do you agree? Do well, you agree? I look, I think these are all open questions. I, I, I do question whether as a, I, perhaps the industry talks more about explainability than um, some people care because uh, we, there are unexplainable algorithms that govern our life and people don't seem to care that much about it. For instance, your credit score, you know, you're 723, I'm 642. Why? They, they, there's no, it's opaque as opaque can be. 
And yet people are like, hey, well, 64, that's what I am. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily feel like there's a groundswell among the general public to say, I, I want explainability. So what, what would you say to that? Well, I think there hasn't been a groundswell because there has not been enough of a backlash. But I think as um, more organizations use these things and larger people are punished. So your credit score, your bad credit score, <laughs> individuals, or, or sorry, it, yours is a good credit score. If, um, if you had a bad credit score, though, as an individual, you have no power. Now, if you start saying that, well, funding, there was something that happened where a town lost particular funding in the school district based on a recommendation from an algorithm, that now affects many more people. So there has to be an ability to be organized in order for anyone to affect change. If it's an individual person, that was the credit score. Good luck trying to fight that. You would need some consumers group to help fight that for you. And I do think people are starting to get more educated about that. Um, other things, you know, so you know that if you cancel all your credit cards or change jobs, um, your credit score will go down. So there has been some degree of education in the past few years. But I think some of these things... Um, as we start to hear about um, the wrong person being jailed, or I mean, I'm upset about in, in China, they're using facial recognition to target ethnic minorities or to profile students in schools who are looking bored. Well, why is the student looking bored? Are they bored because the teacher's ineffective? Are they bored because they're, they're actually at the wrong grade level? Um, or really, are they just not a good student, not paying attention? All of those are possibilities. But if we abuse these algorithms, these AI models, I think people will get organized. So the time is to come. <laughs> um, some of the incidences in the last year, how Facebook was used to influence the political elections. I think these times are coming and we're early days, but I would like to see technology providers stay ahead of the curve because I don't think legislation is the answer. I think that can stifle innovation and creativity. So to be clear, uh, are you willing to say, yes, explainability may slow AI development, but that's a cost we just all have to agree is worth it? Or are you saying, no, that's a false choice that explainability and AI development don't have anything, uh, aren't, aren't codependent factors, are, are independent? So I am saying that explainable AI matters and uh, transparency and trust are core design principles at ThoughtSpot. So we will have explainable AI to the extent that I can influence that. As an industry, I want all technology providers to pursue that. My concern is that when we don't, and it's not a level playing field, then we risk it being regulated. And when it's the government dictating the rules about things that they may or may not understand, that is what stifles innovation. So let's pull uh, the lens out from BI in general. And I'm curious just when you think of AI 
and its impact on the world. Are you, in the end, optimistic about the future, or do you do you think this is a technology that, on balance, is going to be much better than than the the, the, the harm? Or are you worried, or is the jury still out? Like, what do you think the future is going to hold with all of this, these developments? Yeah, so this <laughs> this is tough, Byron, because I am a glass half full person. Some might even say I have rose-colored glasses, and that's partly true. Um, there are dangers. There definitely are dangers, but uh, some of my research in the last two years around data and AI for good, I tell you, it restores my faith in humanity, not that I ever lost it. I think there are some bad apples out there. But when I look at how AI and data is being used in novel ways, whether it's to improve the needs of the homeless, we just had Memorial Day. Oh my gosh, it, 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 it breaks my heart that veterans account for a large portion of the homeless population across the U.S. Just kills me. So how do we address that? Can we solve the needs there? Or when I look at it, uh, you know, the bad side of society, that technology has also accelerated human trafficking, people that prey on the internet, but AI is also being used to reduce the risk of human human trafficking, then I think these are good things. And there's a lot that's happening in the medical community as well around better treatment, cures for cancer. I think we'll get there. I think there absolutely will be missteps and abuses along the way. So this is where I do look at the convergence of ethics and diversity has to come together. Um, and I, <laughs> I do think good ultimately wins over evil. So if we make data and AI for good, just a core way of doing business, um, I'm, I'm optimistic. Well, that's a good place to leave it on an optimistic note. I want to thank you for a fascinating um, half hour. Can you tell people how they can keep up with either you or ThoughtSpot or both? Yes. So I am on Twitter. My, my legacy Twitter handle, I can never change this from my old company, BI Scorecard, or on LinkedIn, or go to ThoughtSpot.com. You'll see me blogging at least once a month. And we have our uh, big user conference in the fall in October in Dallas, and I'm at various events around the world. Well, we'll uh, we'll all keep an eye on what you're doing. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope you'll come back on the show uh, down the road. Definitely. Thank you, Byron. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.